right. I hope everyone's doing well. Welcome back to Being Real with Jason Lopez. Today, I want to geek out a little bit on some real estate information. And this is uh, some information that I learned uh, about a week and a half ago. We had the good fortune to have uh, Jordan Levine, who is the chief economist with the California Association of Realtors, present at our local uh, association here in San Diego. And he shared some really interesting information. Um, he, on behalf of the California Association, forecasted uh, real estate data and market information back in, I believe, October of 2022. And now that we've got a little hindsight uh, behind us, <laughs> um, he talked a little bit about some of the things that, well, maybe he kind of missed on or, or weren't really expected. Now, if you think back, most of 2022, the market was pretty hot. I mean, really going back to um, late spring, early summer of 2020, right as the pandemic was kicking off, uh, the market really caught fire. Interest rates, as you may remember, were at you know historic all-time lows in the 2% range. And people freaked out um, right around October when that forecast was coming out uh, because rates had, uh, um, had started to spike at that point, right? And uh, we saw them get up into the sevens. They've come back down. Uh, I'll share a program with you later uh, from a particular lender uh, where you can actually get a 30-year fixed uh, in the 4.5 uh, range. Um, if you meet certain criteria. So I'll talk about that in, in just a little bit. Um, but I wanted to start out by, by talking a little bit about how uh, Jordan presented this information. He told a great story. So ends up, Jordan's actually from San Diego County. We were in El Cajon. He grew up just uh, northeast of El Cajon in a little town called Lakeside. Uh, and he told the story of how his dad, who uh, you know, barely graduated high school, uh, but was able to buy a house and uh, used to fret about that $350 mortgage payment he was going to have to come up with every month, right? And, and, he, and he said, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that he was always concerned about, but also really proud of. And he used to say the best time to buy real estate uh, was 20 years ago. The second best time to buy real estate is right now. And I think we, we hear that being said almost every, every year. So even though the market's been a little crazy and affordability has been an issue and interest rates have gone up, uh, prices have continued to go up, regardless of what you see and hear in the media. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. And, and so I get that it can be tough for folks, especially younger people who maybe still have some student debt. Maybe they're still early in their careers, right? So they're trying to work to build that nest egg and if homeownership is on the radar um, then they um, you know hopefully are, are doing the things they need to do however i wanted to share one uh, bit of information from the slide that that he showed us one of the many slides that he showed us and this is going back to 1989 all right we're in 2023 1989 i was two years out of high school two years from being married <laughs> and uh and so it was a long time ago, right? 1989. And this chart that I'm looking at, and I'll probably do a, uh, a video uh, on this as well. So it'll be shared out in my socials at some point. Uh, but what it's showing is the uh, household net worth for people. Okay. And again, going back to 1989. So I'm looking at uh, two lines. The first line is the net worth of a homeowner. Okay. The net worth of a homeowner. 
The second line I'm looking at is the net worth of a renter in California. All right. These, this is real household net worth per capita uh, based on renters and homeowners in California. Let me start with the renters. Since 1989, the net worth, household net worth of somebody who rents in California was $4,000 in 1989. The net worth of a renter in California in 2019 was $6,000. Over that time frame, 1989 to 2019, uh, that's, that's a long time, right? Uh, 30 years worth of data. Their net worth only went up $2,000. I mean, when you look at the slide, it's a, basically a flat line, okay? It peaked, if you're interested, it looks like in 1995 at $8,000, okay? So again, the latest data, 2019, the net worth of a homeowner, I'm sorry, of a renter in California, $6,000, okay? The net worth of someone who owns real estate in California, is uh, well let's start with 1989 in 1989 it was $200,000 $4,000 for a renter in California net worth $200,000 net worth for a homeowner in 1989 in California okay uh the homeowner uh homeowner net worth peaked um around 2007 so just before the great recession crash at $290,000 Okay, so it went from 200,000 net worth in 89 in 2019. The last data, data we have the net worth of a homeowner in California, this is the household net worth, was $255,000. So I want you to let that sink in for a second. Net worth of a renter in 2019, $6,000. Net worth of a homeowner in 2019, $255,000. That's a lot. That's a big gap. So when I hear people, I'm interested, I have three kids. My youngest is 18. My oldest is uh, almost 28. I get it. I understand. Uh, my oldest son makes good money. His fiance makes good money. My younger son is getting ready to graduate college with a STEM degree, mechanical engineering. I recommend if you're going to college that you do not get a philosophy degree uh, because you won't make any money. <laughs> my daughter's getting ready to graduate high school she wants to be a nurse that's great she'll have uh, plenty of opportunity over her career to to do fine um, but what they struggle with is their debt they've built debt up not all of them my middle son hasn't he's been smart um, he does have some student debt but other than that um, he's, he's been smart about it my older son lots of student debt did get through school in in four years through college business degree and makes good money uh, his his fiance has a double degree and she's uh, works in accounting makes good money but they have a lot of debt it's been hard for them to save up you know for a down payment so there are some things you can do around down payment and I, and I mentioned this and I talk about the, the the household net worth first because I just want to illustrate because I hear it all the time you know either we can't afford to buy we'll never be able to afford to buy or we don't have a desire to buy Look, if you want to build real wealth, and I'm talking about opportunities to you know, create some generational wealth, some legacy for your family, you need to own real estate, period. And I get it. Like I said, the best time to buy your real estate was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And if you're in Southern California, like I am, it can be a little tougher because 
they're not making any more dirt. There's a limited amount of room to build. Uh, we're starting to see more of these little infill projects and things like that, which is great. Uh, but it, get into a property somewhere. Just figure out a way to do it. And you should get with the realtor who can help you with that. Call me. I'm happy to walk you through it. If you're in another part of the, the state or the country, I can connect you with somebody. I'm happy to do that. So again, $6,000 for a renter net worth in California, $255,000 for a homeowner. Okay. And let me, let me say for years ago, yeah, but they bought their house 20, 30, 40 years ago. No, not necessarily. Listen to this in 2010, the uh, household net worth of a homeowner in California was 204,000. It's gone up since in, since 2010 from 204 to 255. So even people that bought their house 10, 11 years ago have done really, really well. Okay. That is why you want to buy back in 2004. The average net wealth of a homeowner was two hundred and fifty thousand. So it's it's you know it's gone up five thousand if we go back to two thousand four. Okay, um, you need to own real estate. There's just no way around it. Okay, so as a buyer, a couple of things um, to think about if you don't have a lot of money saved up, uh, but you make good income, and maybe your debt to income ratio isn't horrible, meaning. Uh, that, you know, what you pay every month towards your debt, uh, makes up, you know, it's not 80% of your income, right? As an example, maybe it's 40% or 50% of your monthly income is going toward your monthly debt. And that includes rent, that includes utilities, that includes, um, savings, putting, you know, paying your credit card bills, it includes your car payments, it includes your, you know, your mad money to go out and have a little bit of fun, which we all need to do, right? So you want to make sure you can get your debt to income ratio in check if you think it's out of check you can get to get with a lender and talk about that they can give you some guidelines and suggestions on on where you need to be obviously running your credit and seeing what your credit score is uh, many lenders now do what they call a soft credit pool uh, one of the things that people do not like when they get their credit their credit run is all of a sudden they're going to start getting calls from other people trying to sell them stuff hey we can get you this on, on credit we can get you that on credit right so with the soft credit pool you're not going to um, be impacted where it shows that your credit's being run and, and you start getting calls from everybody. So I'm happy to connect you with a lender that, that will do that as well. Uh, the second thing is when it comes to the interest rates, look, there's a rule of thumb. And by the way, historically, wherever we are now, in, I don't know, the high fives, mid sixes, somewhere in that range for interest rates, historically, that's pretty dang good. Just so you know, it's not two or 3% like it was a year, year and a half ago, certainly. However, Historically speaking, that is not bad. That's a, a below average uh, interest rate right now. Okay, so don't don't get freaked out about it. Keep it in perspective. However, there is a way. There's a couple of ways that you can get a lower rate. One is by utilizing a tool called a buy down. Uh, the most common buy down is what we call a two one buy down. How that works is we negotiate with the seller to cover your closing costs and pay some money up front to get the lower interest rate. You're actually going to have the seller buy down the interest rate. And the 2-1 buy down is going to lower the interest rate for the first two years. So let's say uh, the interest rate is 6%. I'm just using round numbers there. Uh, we get the seller to do a 2-1 buy down. The first year, your mortgage payment would be based on a 4%. It's going to be 2% less than whatever the going rate is. The second year, it'll be 1% less. So it would go... Uh, it would start the first year at 4%, the second year it would go to 5%, the 
the third year and for the remainder of the loan, unless you refinance would be at 6%. Okay. Here's the thing. If you've got good income and you can continue to pay your debt down and maybe build up some, uh, some savings, you know, at the end of the two years, when it's going to go to the 6%, uh, where it's going to be locked for the remainder of the loan, you could refinance. If the rates have gone down, maybe at that point, the rates have gone down into the fours or the low fives and you want to lock it in there and not have to worry about it going to six, you can refinance and get it lower. Okay. There's also a three, one buy down, a four, one buy down, depending on how much you can get the seller uh, to, to throw at it uh, to get the benefit of that lower interest rate for a couple of years. Okay. The other thing I heard about a program and you'll have to reach out to me if you want this one and um, I can connect you. And there are some, some additional qualifiers on this and some, some things you need to discuss with the lender, but there is a bank out there that is offering a 4.38%. This was as of yesterday, it could change a little bit, but as of yesterday, it was 4.38% 30 year fixed. The qualifiers for that are one, you have to have at least one year reserve in the bank savings to cover the first year mortgage payment. Okay. So if the first year of mortgage payments was going to be $30,000, you need to have at least $30,000 in your bank, in the savings account, right? Um, and then there's going to be some other qualifiers like credit scores and FICOs and things like that that could come into effect as well. But if you qualify, 30-year fixed at 4.38, pretty darn good as well. So um, there are some things available out there. By the way, uh, people always say, well, I don't have enough saved up for the down payment. FHA. Three and a half percent down payment. Uh, they've they've uh, raised the loan limit, so you can, if you live in a high uh, price area like Southern California or uh, another market like that, uh, you can uh, you can still qualify because the loan limits are, are higher now. Three and a half percent down. Seller will pay some of the closing costs. You can get in there again. You can always refinance. You will have mortgage insurance, which will be added on to your monthly mortgage payments. It's going to be a little bit more. However, again, when the rates come down, you reach a certain level of equity in the property, you can refinance and get rid of the mortgage insurance. And if the rates have come down, the benefit of that lower rate, right? So marry the house, date the rate. You can always uh, refinance. You can always get the benefit of, of interest rates coming down at some point in the future. But you want to start building the equity. You want to start building the net worth in the property. Okay. That's the key. The, the, the net worth, right. As, as, the, as the value of the home goes up and it always goes up, you know, it's going to dip a little bit here and there on occasion, but it, over the long haul, it's always going to go up and the long haul might be four or five years. Again, as I just, as I just demonstrated, right. In 2010, the average household net worth of a homeowner in California was 204,000 in 2019, 255,000. So the value of the home is going to continue to go up. And by the way, as you're making the mortgage payments, you're going to be paying towards the principal every month. And so that mortgage balance is going to go down. So that gap widens. That is the opportunity, that gap between the, the principal balance on your mortgage going down and the value of the home continuing to go up, right? And then you use that to, uh, if you buy, have to buy a property, maybe in an area or a neighborhood that you weren't really considering, wasn't your first choice necessarily, it doesn't matter. Get in while you can, right? And then down the road, you can get out and go buy something else. By the way, you may not realize this either. There's a lot of uh, amazing tax benefits and breaks uh, that you can receive. One of them is the capital gains exemption. So if you buy a home and you're single, when you go to sell that home, if you don't have more than 250000 
um, in value increase, you don't have to pay capital gains tax on that uh, on that two hundred fifty thousand. Let's say you had a hundred thousand in uh, increase in value, and this would be between what you bought it, what you sold it for, minus the cost of sale. Let's say it's a hundred thousand in gain. That's under the two hundred fifty thousand threshold, so you wouldn't have to pay capital gains tax on that. If you're married, it's five hundred thousand. That's a lot, <laughs> right? So if you bought a house for I don't know nine hundred thousand last year, you sell it uh, or, or four years ago, let's say. Uh, for 900,000, you bought it four years ago and you sell it now for 1.3, that's only 400,000. You're not going to have to pay capital gains on that 400,000 because you get an exemption up to 500,000. There is some legislation being uh, bantied about right now. I think the California Association just announced that they are um, that they are backing this legislation to actually increase that capital gains exemption from two hundred and fifty thousand for single people and five hundred thousand for married people to five hundred for single people and a million for married couples. So um, again, those are some of the things that happen behind the scenes that can that can benefit you. So um, I did want to share just that that net wealth um, slide with you and just again demonstrate that homeowners over the long haul are going to build net worth legacy in in financial security for their for their families in the over the long haul renters you're you're throwing your money away i understand you got to live somewhere and i always like to say you know it doesn't matter if you rent or own uh the place you're living in you're still paying a mortgage uh if you own you're paying your own mortgage you're building your equity you're creating your legacy if you're renting you're paying your landlords mortgage and helping them build equity and legacy and financial wealth for them but you're still paying a mortgage it's just is it yours or is it your landlord's right also look at what rents have done i know they've come back a little bit recently very recently like in the last month or two but the rents were going up faster than uh than the mortgages were in a lot of areas so again you got to live somewhere. You might as well live somewhere where you own and you can make it what you want, enjoy it, have that financial security and the stability of a set payment every month versus having to deal with renewing your lease, them raising the rent, all of that stuff. The other thing that's been going on, you guys, in, in the industry uh, recently is um, a lot of what we call uh, are known as tenant protection ordinances. And on the surface, this sounds really good. And especially, you know, with COVID and things like that, um, you know, there are some things uh, about the, the tenant protection ordinances uh, and the um, anti-eviction um, legislation that makes sense on the surface. But when you dig into it, it's a slippery slope. Um, I'll use Chula Vista, which is in the southern part of San Diego as an example. On uh, January 1, their tenant protection ordinance kicked in. I've had a lot of people reach out and that I've talked to who are homeowners, uh, housing providers, landlords that have decided to just sell those properties because they don't want to deal with all the problems and issues that come up. You get a problem tenant in one of those properties, it's almost impossible to evict them at this point. Um, and there's not a lot of uh, housing providers and landlords who just want to evict good tenants. It doesn't, it doesn't happen, right? Um, they're always the problem tenants, but with these protection ordinances, it makes it almost impossible to get them out. Property damage happens. They've got to, you know, renovate the property that causes more, um, time and expense, you know, downtime in terms of generating income. And most of these landlords, most of these housing providers are what I would consider to be mom and pop um, landlords. A lot of them have just done well in real estate. A lot of them are kind of uh, uh, landlords by, by happenstance, right? Uh, maybe you had a young couple who bought their first condo. Um, they had, 
uh, started having kids. They needed more room, but they were in a place financially where they could keep the condo as a rental and go ahead and move into that next property and get a house. And so they, they kind of just became landlords by happenstance. Maybe they'd inherited a property that had tenants in place, right? They're selling those properties and they're selling them to uh, to, to people who are going to actually live in them as primary residents. So what ends up happening is one, the pool of available rental properties shrinks. Okay. So the supply tightens up. You don't have as many available. And because of that, the demand is going to go up, which is going to raise prices. It's going to drive price. So it's a slippery slope. That's what I mean. It's not always what it seems like it's going to be when you lose rental inventory, um, then uh you know the demand is going to go up and that means the rents are going to go up as well so just some things to think about again if you're if you're uh, kind of in that stage of looking around then uh, get with the realtor reach out i'm happy to connect you um you can find me and my information all over the place and um i'm happy i'm happy to help uh there was a couple a couple of other slides i wanted to go over with you guys really really quick um one of them was there, there has been some talk about uh the uh, distressed property market. I've seen a lot of companies and folks um, starting to ramp up like the short sale and uh, foreclosure training, you know, uh, anticipating that we're going to have some issues with those types of uh, challenges, um, especially again, coming, coming out of COVID. Uh, California in particular is really doing better than pretty much any other state in the country in terms of, uh, in terms of distressed uh, properties. We have um, like a 98% um, uh, uh, current rate, meaning like 2% of the people are uh, are in some sort of issues with their with their lender about their mortgage. Um, when the pandemic hit, you guys probably heard a lot about, you know, people um, either being laid off or uh, downsized or whatever, and maybe they got in into a situation where they got a couple months behind in their payment. Um, most of the banks uh, and mortgage companies were working with those folks to help them stay in the property and maintain their ownership in that property. Uh, and there was, there were a couple of different ways. There were some folks that were able to do permanent loan mod modifications. So they got, um, uh, a permanent reduction in their mortgage rate and, um, they'll kind of pay back whatever they got behind on. Uh, some of them did deferments, meaning if you had, um, three months where you couldn't make your mortgage payment, that was okay. Um, on the fourth month, you could bring it current. The problem was, you know, even if you had, let's say like a $2,000 monthly payment and you got behind three months, that's six months. And then in month four, you've got to make it current plus pay that current month's rent. That's $8,000. A lot of people couldn't do that. So they ended up, um, working it out with their bank where they could actually tack it on to the back of their loan. So for example, let's say they could make that fourth month, that 2000 in the fourth month, that 6,000 they missed out on paying, they just tacked that onto the end of the loan. So if they had 30 months left on their mortgage payments, now they had 33 months left, right? So they were able to work that out. 94% of all people that got into some trouble, and this is across the country, the last numbers I saw had worked it out with their bank. So, um, so those folks, it shouldn't be a big impact on, you know, some of those like potential foreclosure numbers. The other thing to think about with that, you guys, is because values went up so much over the past few years, even people that are really in a financial bind in most cases, not all, but in most cases, they should be able to sell the property and make some money on it 
and move on down the road. It doesn't mean they're going to be able to buy another property right away necessarily, but they don't have to deal with losing money or losing the property to foreclosure or to a short sale. I had a call yesterday from one of my agents up in Central Valley area of California, and uh, uh, he does have a client who I think they closed today um, that was really concerned because he was only going to have about 3000 in net proceeds. And I was like, well, you know, I know it's not a lot of money, but it's better than the alternative, right. Of, of having to deal with the short sale or, or worse, a foreclosure. Um, but for most folks, they've got some equity and, and, um, hopefully they'd be able to just sell and, you know, kind of take their money, put it in the bank, invest it in something else. And, or, or maybe hopefully, you know, just save up and find another place at some point as well. So a lot of things going on. What I, what I want to wrap up with just so you guys are, you know, kind of getting all this is you're reading all kinds of headlines. You're seeing all kinds of news, uh, stories out there. And, you, you know, the simple fact is, uh, you know, the sizzle is what sells, right? I mean, to put a headline out there that says, hey, man, the real estate market is not doing that bad. <laughs> That's not what get eyes, uh, gets eyeballs to the websites or to the videos or to if anybody still reads newspapers, you know, to read to read the articles. Um, honestly, my my opinion based on 30 years in real estate and, you know, certainly I'm not an economist. I do track the data at a pretty high level, probably more than most people in real estate do. Um, and so I see the trends, I pay attention to it. I really feel like this market that we're in is what we would have evolved into if we didn't have the COVID pandemic, right? If, if we go back to 2019, uh, the first couple of months of 2020, if COVID never happened, the market we're in right now is probably what would have happened. You know, maybe you know, certainly with some some minor differences or whatever. But all in all, you know, um, it, it's doing it's doing okay. And and I know my group is busy. Um, I do have the benefit, which is unique for me, in that because I have a, a statewide brokerage, so I have almost fifteen hundred agents who work for me from San Diego all the way up to the you know the Oregon border. So I see all the nuances that happen in California. Um, I see the areas that don't have the challenges we have in Southern California. Central Valley is a really good example. Built a lot of new construction. They got plenty of open space to build. It's a little cheaper cost of living. Uh, home prices aren't what they are in other parts of the state. So it's still a very viable real estate market. It's still very busy. We see a lot of homes still selling very quickly over list price, multiple offer situations, things that were happening a couple of years ago uh, that don't happen much in other parts. Although we do see a handful of them starting to happen again uh, in and around Southern California as well. Um, I kind of equated to what we saw in the Inland Empire um, over the last 15, 20 years uh, in Temecula and Murrieta and Sun City and Menifee um, and those areas out there in Moreno Valley, where again, lots of open space, still a lot of open space out there. Um, even going east, you know, out the 60 and the 10 freeway as you get out through Beaumont and Hemet and Banning, um, still a lot of area to, to build for folks. And clearly people don't mind living out there because there's been a lot of new construction, not nearly as many in, uh, orange groves out there anymore, right, as there used to be. Um, so there, there are still some things going on on that front that I think can make an impact. Um, as well. So listen, man, if you guys have any questions about any real estate issues, matters, again, um, I'm very happy to connect you with folks in your local area. If it's outside of my footprint, um, if you need to talk to a lender, 
Um, if you have something unique or an opportunity that's come up um, that you want to run by a professional, reach out. I'm happy to have that conversation with you and uh, see if we can be of uh, service for you. Okay. Listen, man, I hope you guys all enjoy your weekend. Um, hopefully the weather will hold. We had so much rain and uh, we had some snow in San Diego and hail in the last couple of days. It's been pretty nice. So we'll see how the weekend holds up, but we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in. 